Dear water, could I talk to you on life and why you flow? My thoughts brought fog and dark to what's true, so I wondered, does the ocean know? How pride like stone can fall away, what peace gives pools their rest? I'd felt you all around before I'd seen the day, can feel you run now in my chest. Your cold face taught me while I sat, your flight puts the angels in view. And is there more than one way that, when I look at you, I see myself too? Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Today we're going to be looking at the spiritual meaning of water. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'm the host. I'm going to take us through it, and we're going to go through this show asserting that water is truth. And you might be saying to yourself, water's not truth. That's crazy. Water is an object, and truth is a concept. They're they're two different categories of things. Uh, You can't have this equal to this because you need information to make a concept, and water doesn't have any information. Well, if you look at water, you know, it's got, true, it's made of molecules. They don't actually in real life have those letters on them. It's made of molecules, but you get in there, it's all sort of the same molecules. There's not in an order. You can't, like, read it like a book, right? So there's no information in water, right? Wrong. There is information in water. <laughs> got you there. And it's not in how the water is organized, but it's in how the water behaves. For example, you could learn reverse engineer all the laws of physics, or a lot of them, out of this water here. Things like momentum, mass, that sort of thing, how, how uh, particles interact, just by studying this, if you didn't already know, because it's reacting to all these laws, and so has them kind of written inside it, right? We're going to assert today that there's another kind of information in water. And this stems from the concept proposed by Swedenborg and many others, which is that there are two worlds existing simultaneously, a spiritual world and a physical world. And we're going to say that what water is to the physical world, truth is to the spiritual world, meaning all the ways that water affects this world, the way that it shapes the landscape, the way that it makes life possible, the way it interacts with things, there's a direct analog in the way that truth works in the world of the spirit, which is the world of the mind, which is the world of the life after death. So the more that we learn about water here, the more insights we can gain into how true concepts, and even beyond that, the substance of truth, interacts in our minds. We can be learning more and more about ourselves the more we learn about this stuff here. So, you want to try it? Sounds cool? Good. And you may have noticed, public service announcement, uh, that I woke up this morning with a little bit of a frog in my throat, so we made, we hastily used our budget to make this sign here, and uh, Anytime something froggy happens, I got to clear my throat or something, I'll put that up so that you at home know and the kids watching at home know, listen, it's not me, it's the frog, dudes. All right, we're going to go through the different phases of water. We're going to take a journey, a thermal journey, to see how this, what is water symbolized spiritually, how is it truth, and why, why, when you add heat to it, does it progress in a way that mirrors the growth of a human mind from where we start to an angel or an enlightened being. So let's take a look, beginning in part one with water's coldest 
form. Looking at water as a solid, and every form of water has its own particular correspondence, because everything that water does is a mirror of the spiritual, not just in abstract, but in application. And what we want to do is focus here on snow, no offense, ice, as our solid form. And what we kind of do first is if we're going to look for what's the spiritual meaning, what's, what's snow telling us about the way that our mind works, we got to remember snow. What it, and just in case you guys don't have any out in your yard right now, what is snow and what what does it feel like and how does it act? So here's a here's a little montage to remind you that you know what snow is fun and snow is beautiful and it can be a really really nice enhancement to life. So here is a little bit of snow. All right, so there's snow. Remember, it can really snow can really set a mood. Snow is something that can be fun. It can change the way we move across the ground. It's cool, or it's pun intended. Snow is it can be a very fun thing, and that's everything about it tells us something about what it means, right? So that's giving us a little bit of information. Another is snow's complexity because snow is a form of water right? And water corresponds to truth. And Swedenborg says a truth is infinitely complex. And you think about snowflakes and the way that they are. Uh, every single one, you've all heard this, every snowflake is unique. Well, Swedenborg says, so are each individual, is each individual truth. This is Spiritual Experiences 1935. Each notion contains infinitely many elements, since each truth is capable of expanding to infinity. So with each snowflake, not only are they all different, but the more you zoom in, the closer you get, the more complexity you see. Swedenborg says every truth, everything that we just think of, like the snowflakes far away, oh, it's just, just sort of a little mass. When you get in there, everything can be expanded. So these things in our minds, these things we know, things that are being shown to us by the divine, there's infinite room to grow in wisdom. And this is actually a mirror of that. Not only that, you have, if that's not enough for you, you have God's hair looking like snow. You remember we did a show called Revelation, Vision of a God-Centered Life, where we looked at the vision of John on the Isle of Patmos, which had to do with Jesus Christ. And Jesus's hair was described in Revelation 114. He says, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Why is snow in there? Is that just in case you, the reader doesn't really know what something really white looks like? You know, like snow. Oh, right, right. No, every detail has meaning. And Swedenborg has commentary on why Jesus' hair is compared to snow in Apocalypse Revealed, number 47. The head and hair are described as being like wool and like snow because wool symbolizes goodness and outmost expressions. And, okay, so forget, we're not talking about wool. And snow symbolizes truth in outward expressions. So now we're really starting to hone in on what's specific snow, that it's different than the rest of truth, the rest of water. This is truth in outward expressions. These are sort of the more peripheral truths that we have and sort of our initial encounter with ideas before we've really broken them in and used them. Another clue is that snow, if you look at it in this world, is a protector. 
It's actually uh, able to insulate. It's a great uh, insulator. When the temperature is really cold, little shoots and plants actually do better when there's snow cover and when the spring rolls around because snow keeps everything from getting as cold as the air above it. You've all seen kids' books. Well, it's true. Little animals burrow down under the snow. Some make tunnels in the snow. Snow can actually protect these little things that are alive. And just so happens that's truth's role as well. This is Apocalypse Revealed 764. Swedenborg says, Goodness without truth lacks protection, for it is truth that protects goodness. And that those little living things are the symbol of goodness, and this truth, this no, is a symbol, or is is the protector of them. So what does that mean? What is that? You're, you're talking in abstract uh, expressions, Curtis. What does that mean? Well, a couple of things. First of all, think about being really naive. It doesn't matter how loving you are, if you don't have these truths, you're going to go get hurt, right? That, that's just the way of the world, the state of the world at this point. But on an individual introspective level, you think about really cold times in your life. You know, when, it, when it's winter, so let's say something that you love is lost or something that you uh, leaned on as a pillar of life, it turns out is not supporting you anymore or it's not what it seemed. You're feeling distant from God. Something has gone wrong. Your, your principles aren't, how, your, your, your feelings aren't there like they used to be. Something of winter, isn't it concepts that get us through that when the feelings aren't there? Like... I remember, even though this is like this, I know intellectually it's going to get better, even if it doesn't seem like it ever will. Or, or I do know that I believe in some kind of higher principle, even though it doesn't feel like it now. And it's often those things that keep us, one, sustained in hope, and two, keep us from making bad decisions when we go down, right? Wait, wait, this is not good in the long run. Keeps us from making rash indulgences there. So in that way, that snow, those outer concepts in our mind, is protecting us there, right? However, so snow is cool, it's helpful, but there's a problem with snow, and it's, it has to do with this seed, and I'm going to show you it as soon as my delivery gets here. That's it. Hello. Yeah, no, we're in, we're in here. Great. Thanks very much. All right. Sorry, guys. I've got to open this up. Oh, yeah. See that? That's snow. Yeah, we saved that. It's not snowy outside here. Here's the problem. It's not going to grow. It's too cold. <laughs> there, I'm, aren't you glad you tuned in? You learn amazing things. It's too cold. Doesn't even matter if there was soil in there. Nothing grows in that state. Things can be protected, you know, things can be fun, but nothing truly alive is going to sprout and germinate there. For that, you need some warmth. And Swedenborg talks about the importance of adding warmth, which is on the spiritual side is love, in New Jerusalem, number 114. We can form some image of the relationship between good actions that come from caring and the truth that belongs to religious faith if we think in terms of the warmth and light of the sun. When the light that radiates from the sun is joined to warmth, as in the case in spring and summer, then everything on earth sprouts and blossoms. When there is no warmth in the light though, as in the case of winter, then everything on earth becomes dormant and dies. The truth that belongs to religious faith is spiritual light, and the love is spiritual warmth. 
This makes it possible for us to form some image of what people in the church are like when faith is joined to caring in them. They are just like a garden paradise. Their image, though, when faith is not joined to caring in them, is like that of a desert or a land buried in snow. So snow can have a positive or a negative symbolism, like everything, that it can be this fun, protective thing, but also it's cold. Things don't grow in it. And he says that specifically, if you've got these religious ideas, but you don't got love, you're a frozen field. He talks about it in the spiritual world that way, heaven and hell, 482. He says, a number of people who thought they had, had faith were introduced to people of real faith. And once communication was established, they perceived that they had no faith at all. They even admitted later that simply believing the truth or the word is not faith. But faith is loving what is true from a heavenly love and intending and doing it from a deep affection. I was also shown that the secondhand belief they called faith was only like the light of winter, in which everything on earth lies dormant, bound by the ice and buried in snow because there is no no warmth to the light. So there is an image uh, in uh, in snow of people who have got religious concepts but don't love. Isn't that isn't that like like being frozen out? That hey, we we say that we believe in God and, and that we believe in in uh, you know heaven and, and what, everything that's good, but we're not treating you well. Our our theology doesn't have warmth in it. It's not making us into better people. As cold, man. And Swedenborg actually visited communities that were in the spiritual world covered in snow for that very reason. And you can see, he actually talked about truth coming down and being transformed in the spiritual world. You can see here there's he talked about divine truth being let down into heaven as rain, and we're going to get to that liquid water in a minute. But by the time it went down into hell. By the time it went down into where love of domination and love of evil prevailed, it turned into hail and snow because you take all the warmth out of it, that's all you get. No longer can anything grow. So snow has got a positive and a negative correspondence to it, like everything, and it is good in a lot of areas. It's like truth that we first, before we've had a chance to live it, when we first learn it, we've got it temporarily, but you got to warm it up in order for it to really sink in to the soil. You know, we say that that's got to sink in before we can use it to produce life, which is the kind of thing that makes life better for us and for other people, good, loving action. So we're going to look at what happens when you add this warmth and get liquid water in part two. But first, for the, for the same price, we're going to give you a bonus correspondence because salt just happens to be something that, that bridges these two, or, or, or connects these two together. And here's a little free correspondence lesson on salt. So we know that snow is the solid state of water, and then when it melts, it becomes liquid. And what causes that to happen is an increase in uh, temperature. So Swedenborg says that snow corresponds, or water corresponds to truth, and so a solid state of water, this ice or snow, is when it has very little love connected to it, and then the liquid state of water is uh, when it has more love because it's a higher temperature because temperature corresponds to warmth and love. So we live in an area where when it's going to snow, these salt trucks are out there salting all the roads. And it's really interesting when you think about the correspondence of salt um, and what that does to snow and what that you know causes for water. Um, 
Salt corresponds to longing, Swedenborg says, in a positive sense. It means like the desire to bring love and truth together into a bond. And so it's interesting when you think about what does salt do? When you add salt to solid water, it melts, it helps to melt the ice into a liquid. So we're gonna see that happen, let's see. What's actually happening there is that the freezing temperature is being lowered in the water. And so that means, not only does it mean it makes it harder for the liquid water to get turned into ice, cause it needs to be colder. So it's harder to get the love out. Um, but then also by lowering the freezing temperature with salt on something that's already frozen, it makes it easier to make it become liquid. So there's this interesting dynamic that happens when you're adding salt to uh, ice or water that perfectly reflects this idea of how love is what makes this transition from the cold, solid ice to a liquid, warmer water. Moving forward on our temperature journey through the different layers of truth, we're going to be looking at liquid water here. And yeah, liquid water has a different correspondence than solid water because it represents a different part of the journey of truth. And we're going to follow water in its liquid form along its journey on this earth to see if it'll tell us something about the journey in us. We're going to go from the rain to the river, to the ocean, which is often roughly the water cycle with a few steps in and out. And we're also going to be looking at both the negatives and the positives of each of these. Because as we know, water in various forms can be a really cool thing, or it can be a really scary thing, and that causes damage. So we're going to look at how that represents both the helpful and harmful things in the mind. And we're going to start with rain, because uh, that's sort of where you can water starts. I mean, we, if you want to pick a spot in the cycle. So Swedenborg talks about rain in Apocalypse Explained at 376. He says, rain specifically represents the divine truth flowing in out of heaven, from which all things of the church and heaven with a person are born, grow, and are brought forth. Of course, of course, you feel rain is this symbol of growth, and renewal. You've probably seen nature documentaries where, man, the rains, they've been gone for eight months, and the, all the animals are just barely making it through, and then they come back, everything grows, and you're happy, or the, you know, people who are doing agriculture understand the importance of rain. That that's, lets things grow. Similarly, in us, when the truth comes in the right way, everything sprouts. So let's just take a minute to observe rain, and just remember the way it can make us feel, and the things it can do for us. Check it out. So just remember any positive associations you've had with rain, and that part of why rain feels like that is because it's the physical reaction to this spiritual process that's happening in us. However, rain is not always good. Some people don't like rain at all. Rain can cause all kinds of damage. So what's the flip side of that? Sometimes it's not helping anything grow. Sometimes it's, it's wrecking things. Swedenborg talks about it in Secrets of Heaven 7553. 
Rain in general symbolizes a blessing, and in a negative sense, it symbolizes a curse. When it symbolizes a blessing, it symbolizes the influence of faith with its truth and of neighborly love with its goodness and the acceptance of that influence because these are a blessing. So that's like the ground accepting the rain and things can grow. When it symbolizes a curse, it symbolizes falsity that opposes the truth taught by faith and evil that opposes the good urged by neighborly love because this falsity and evil are a curse. A rain of hail in general symbolizes a curse that is consists of falsity growing out of evil, and in fact of falsity from evil that opposes the church's true ideas and good qualities. Remember with Swedenborg, that's the church of the heart and the mind. So you have this progression here. You have rain in its normal form, which is like, hey, makes the trees, makes everything green. You gotta have it. Life on earth would be sunk without it. But then you've got the destructive side of rain, and that, that symbolizes not truth, but the reverse falsity, in that a mind can be flooded by untrue ideas to the point where it can destroy life. And he says, if you if you go even farther, if you take the heat out of that, you can get to hail, you know, because that's just frozen rain, and that can cause all kinds of destruction. Some hail, when it gets big enough, can really be a threat, and nobody's saying like, oh, I hope it hails so that my crops will grow. You take all that ability to nurture out of it. So and that's, the hail is a symbol of falsity in the mind that springs out of hatred of goodness, you know, or, or the opposite feeling to what would be the good feelings that would spark, uh, you know, the rain stuff, which is mutual love and and uh, the desire to be good. So you have these polar this polarity here, these two opposites working against each other, and water is teaching us about both of those. But you get through rain, right? Rain comes down, and it doesn't just sit there. Some of it soaks in, but when there's enough, it all pours down into rivers. So now we're going to look at, yeah, and even you think it's just all water moving to different places, but even rivers have a different correspondence than rain, and we, we know they're different enough to label them, and Swedenborg says they represent different parts of the process. This is Apocalypse Revealed 409. He says, rivers symbolize truths in abundance, which makes sense because, as I said, once you've got so much water that it can't even go into the ground anymore, it, form, it forms these channels. In an opposite sense, however, rivers symbolize falsities in abundance. Rivers also symbolize temptations or trials because temptations or trials are inundations of falsity. So we've got all of our positive and negative senses there. Let's look at them individually. Initially, the good side of rivers. Rivers are truths in abundance. And even Swedenborg even likens the course of a river to the guidance of God over our lives. That God is using what he calls divine providence to bring us as as far into heaven as we'll possibly let him. All the events of life, even though we don't know it, are pulling us down this course. We made a video about this long, long ago. It's just one minute long, but we're going to show you. It's about this concept of the river being the image of how God is leading us. True, deep, lasting peace comes from understanding the stream of life. The divine influence on our life is like a stream. Like life, sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's smooth, sometimes it's rocky, sometimes it's really rocky. The peace comes from understanding that whether the flow is quiet or turbulent, all of it, every bit of the riverbed is moving us in a single direction, toward a destination. Without that perspective, it doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere. Oh, so I made it past all these problems just to get more problems? 
And that's always how it will seem to us, because our vantage point isn't high enough to understand the full course of the river. But if in spite of that we choose to trust the current, trust the process and the unseen destination, then we float, we relax, we harmonize with it. Not that we won't still get hit by the rocks and the logs and the fishing lines, but we'll know that everything I get through gets me a little closer to the destination, and a destination that's very much worth the journey. I think it's one of Swedenborg's most comforting concepts is this stream of providence. And that once it's the difference between you're going down this stream of life and you're ah, grabbing out like something, help me. I shouldn't be going down this stream. You're trying to grab onto a rocket. But when you let go and you just float down, there's this amazing sense of trust that he describes people can get with God to the point where really things don't phase them. And they already have this piece of heaven in their mind. And it's something we can be working towards in this world. And whenever you see a nice, peaceful river, that's an image of that. So sit with one sometime, and you get more of a sense of the the guidance of divine love and divine wisdom for each one of us. However, rivers are not always so friendly. He said that rivers can symbolize struggles or hard times in life or temptations. How is that, though, when when they uh, are so nice and they just guide you along? Well, we're going to show you. There's actually a river right over there, and I'm just going to go right now. We'll move the camera and get on location and show you how it's not always that rivers are just guiding you along to a destination. Sometimes there's more of a challenge. Let's go. But the water's not always this benign vehicle that just pulls you along to your destination. Sometimes the river itself is the tribulation. Just we're getting through the water can be a challenge in itself. So sometimes you just gotta try to stay afloat as you move forward. And this is the negative side. This is the trials. This is the correspondence of the hard things in life. And there's always forces pulling you up and forces trying to drag you down. There is gravity. There is the flow of the water. But there's also like the kayak is pushing you up. Whatever a kayak corresponds to. I don't know like what a helmet is or whatever. It's part of God like working with truth and with love to keep you afloat. But there's also uh, the buoyancy, everything pulling you up, so there's this tug of forces. But sometimes it's too much, and you just totally bite it, and you go down underwater, and that is what it is. But you get back up again. And it's not, it's not like you're going for no rapids at all. There's always gonna be rapids in the river. It's not like you're gonna get to a stretch, and there's no rapids, and you're fine. But the point is, you're supposed to be mastering it. That God brings you through temptation, through spiritual struggle, to a place in which the rapids are there, but they don't phase you in the same way. We own them, ah, they don't own us, and that's the spiritual growth, you know? See, I didn't care about that at all. Back to you, Curtis. Oh, man. Yeah, so the lengths we go to. Did you notice at the end that guy is, like, goofing around in that kayak? He's doing 360s on purpose in the rapids. It's, it's a great representation, trying to get through white water that this is just like the trials things are coming over but you it feels like it's just you but it's god working through you is pushing you through motoring you through and then you get to where it's calm and it's not that it's always going to be calm there's always going to be rapids but the more we develop this mindset that the river's trying to teach us the less and less those rapids are going to sink us uh, and and we know we're going to get to the to the end alive and and happy all right but rivers aren't the end of the journey, right? Water then moves, usually, often, to the ocean, right? This is where all the rivers end up. And Swedenborg talks about a separate 
but joined correspondence for oceans. This is Secrets of Heaven, number 28. He says, to find waters symbolizing religious and secular knowledge, so that would be everything, and seas symbolizing a body of such knowledge is quite common in the Word. He's saying that in terms of biblical symbolism, he says nature is the same thing, it all comes from the same root, so that makes total sense. Think about a tropical ocean. We spend so much money to get to these places because it's, it's amazing, it's beautiful and peaceful, and that is a picture of everything in the mind that is needed for heaven. Like all, look at all that water is a picture of these little truths that all work together to create heaven in the human mind. And it's warm because there's love and there, there is peace. And that's an image of heaven. But I don't need to tell you that the ocean is also terrifying at times. And Swedenborg saw in the spiritual world evils and falsities being represented as oceans. So this is, he once saw these great big breakers in the spiritual world, and he said in his journal, it was, I, it was told that such are the fantasies of those who want to be great in the world and to innovate all things, and in this way acquire glory for themselves. Thus it is the swelling of their mind that produces this kind of fantasy. We even call those a swell. He's saying that that is a representation of this false idea that Oh yeah, I I'm gonna be the the one with all the ingenuity and be better than everyone else. That's like puffed up like this wave. He also talked about another uh, scenario where he says I was when I was conducted through a hell, I was withheld from all thought and so protected, lest falses from evil should be injected and should infest me. When I was being conducted along, I felt as it were waters around me. This is the hell which is represented by the Red Sea. The children of Israel are going through unharmed. That's like us passing through these hells without being harmed. And all these waters are around, which are these falsities, right? The, the, the falsities that come out of evil. If you want to live a life where you're basing your whole life on harming people and trying to be better than people, you've got to really shut out the truth and latch on to falsities that make that kind of life okay. And those were all around Swedenborg. And he had to have his mind shut down because otherwise, if he's trying to, you know, breathe in mentally, you get suffocated by that. So those are a couple of ways that the water represents falsity. So it's good and bad. And we know that water has these two sides, but we do see that as we add heat to it, water begins to get, starting to get a little teeny bit froggy. There it is. Sorry about that. As we <clears throat> add water to heat to water, we go up and up. And there's actually another stage of water where you're even higher spiritually. And Swedenborg talks about this passage from the book of Isaiah describing this sort of transition. So we're going to give you a little uh, video here where first you'll see the quote itself and then Swedenborg's interpretation of how this is an image of us making the jump from liquid water to something even higher.
The word which goes out from the mouth of God is compared to the rain and snow from heaven, because the word means divine truth emanating from the Lord, which flows into us through the word. Rain and snow coming down out of heaven have a similar meaning. Rain symbolizes spiritual truth, which becomes our own. Snow symbolizes earthly level truth, which is like snow when it is only in our memory, but is made spiritual by means of love, just as heat turns snow into rainwater. Watering the earth and making it germinate and grow stands for bringing the church to life so that it can bring forth true ideas of doctrine and faith and good effects of love and charity. True ideas of doctrine and faith are meant by the seed that it yields to the sower, and good effects of love and charity by the bread that it yields for the eater. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire, means that it will be received, and that by it we will be led to look to the Lord. Did you know? The water can fly. Yeah, that's right. There's water all around you, in the air. But this is how the whole water cycle happens. And there's a meaning to this too. And we're going to look at a bit of the meaning of this this process of water turning into vapor. And we're going to do it through a Swedenborgian lens by working with a couple of building blocks that Swedenborg's already set out for us. When we know that water is truth and warmth is love. Right, so we've been looking at that this whole time. So naturally, cooling, water cooling would be symbolic of some way in which love is going dormant or we're losing love in part of this cycle. With that in mind, let's look at the water cycle as it relates to the vaporization of water. Uh, so you got water, first it's on the ground, right? It's hanging out there, but then gets heated up enough, it evaporates, becomes vapor in the atmosphere, right? Then it cools a bit, and you get yourself a cloud, cools even more, rains back down. So it is in the human mind. We start out with ideas. Once we really put them into practice, that's like them evaporating and become part of our atmosphere. But as we go through cooling sessions where we're a little less full of love and will to do things, we cycle back down, we get into a little bit of a colder period in life, but then it's not the end, it means we're ready to be brought back up, all the while leaving behind salts and solids and things we needed to get rid of. And actually, Swedenborg says, spiritually, we're going through that cycle, and even even the angels in heaven are going through that cycle of continually being perfected through these risings and fallings. We went into it in more detail in our episode on reincarnation, so you can check that out if you would like to. And Swedenborg talks about the, this this journey here of the water evaporating, being like our our emergence into what he calls conscience. And this is in Secrets of Heaven 1043 that he describes this process. He says, we are regenerated by what we suppose to be religious truth. Now, religious truth being, um, you know, facts or, or ideas about something higher. And so this is the water in our equation here. We each imagine our own theology to be the truth. So it's not even necessarily that it's right, but it's what you believe is right. And that's what intention 
is spiritual currency. This supplies us with conscience. And conscience is when you live by the truth. You'll see, you know if you've watched our episode on conscience. When you live by the truth, it's adding this love to it. That brings it up into this vapor-like state in us. That's where it's all over in our atmosphere rather than just being this thing on the ground. So for us, after we have acquired conscience, violating the strictures stamped on our minds as religious truth is violating our conscience. This is true of every regenerate person, because the Lord regenerates large number, numbers of people of every creed. You know, there's not just one religion that's the right path uh, for everyone. When we have regenerated, we do not receive any direct revelation, except the ideas instilled in us through the Word and preaching from the Word. Meaning, everything goes through this cycle. It's not that you're just like, God suddenly tells you everything. You learn things out here, you try to work on them, refine them, put them into practice, and then they become higher principles that you live by. So you're always going through this little water cycle in your mind. Going on, Swedenborg says, but since we do receive love for our fellow humans, the Lord works through that love to affect our cloud. So we're in the middle of him talking about some symbolism that he saw in the Old Testament with clouds, uh, or I think it was Old Testament, and but that applies to, to nature, to everything around in our minds, spiritually speaking, there are these clouds. And he talks more about it here. Light then floods out of it as happens when the sun strikes a cloud. You've seen that, right? It's beautiful. That thing can be happening in your mind, making it brighter and variegating its color. The same process also creates something like a bow in the cloud. So the thinner the cloud is, that is, the more religious truth it has mixed in. So Again, Swedenborg uses all these terms, but religious truth, in a genuine sense, is truth with love in it, because all religion, Swedenborg says, is really of the doing of good. So the more truth with love you have, the thinner the cloud is, because the the more hot the water is, the more it's vapor, it's spread out, you get these thinner sorts of clouds. The thicker the cloud is, though, or the less religious truth it has, that's in this cooling cycle, the less attractive the bow is. Innocence adds a great deal of beauty. It lends a vivid glow to the colors, so to speak. So while to us it just seems like, oh, you know, I'm sort of trying to live by these principles. Everything looks the same. Spiritually speaking, there is this amazing display going on that sometimes is visible to people where there's this interaction of God and us, and we see an analog of it in the clouds playing with the sun. And have you ever stopped to notice this is gorgeous, the sun shining through clouds? It, it's moving. Why is it moving? It's because it's this picture of something in our hearts. It's a picture of God and us interacting. That's what water is teaching us when we get these feelings. You know, it's showing you something deeper. And the difference between vapor, when the water's just out in the atmosphere and totally translucent, you know, blue sky, and clouds is love. That you have just, when things are a little cooler, you get these clouds, which if the whole thing's overcast, you know, you've gotten a little too cool. And Swedenborg really lays it out that we have and analogs of clouds in our minds. This is Divine Love and Wisdom 147. He says, Since divinity as emanating from the Lord as the sun takes place in light and warmth then, and since light and warmth flow first of all into those universal vessels that are called atmospheres in our world, and since these are what contain clouds, it stands to reason that the way the deeper levels of angels' minds or of our own are veiled by such clouds determines how open we are to divinity as emanating. And he says that by these clouds, I mean spiritual clouds. 
These are thoughts that are in harmony with divine wisdom if they are based on true perceptions, and that disagree if they consist of false ones. So when they are represented visually in the spiritual world, thoughts based on true perceptions look like bright clouds, and thoughts based on false perceptions look like black clouds. That's one fundamental difference with the spiritual world that Swedenborg describes. Everything that we consider internal here, thoughts and feelings there, it is represented externally in both its positive and negative ways. And Swedenborg describes these different clouds appearing over heaven, appearing over hell, and they all had meaning. He just, and we're going to look at a, a little excerpt from Apocalypse Explained, 494. The universal angelic heaven consists solely of the divine truth that proceeds from the Lord. There, clouds appear in various kinds of light. In the inmost or third heaven in a flaming light, in the middle or second heaven in a bright white light, and in the outmost or first heaven in a light more dense. And everyone there knows that they signify divine truth from the Lord through the angels. For when divine truth proceeding from the Lord, which is the very light of heaven, passes through the angels, it appears as a cloud, purer or denser according to their intelligence. And think about the, the feeling of clouds parting if it's been cloudy for a long time or raining for a long time, when the sun breaks through, there's this beautiful moment, and that is symbolic of this opening up to God that we do. And it has to do with the love or the goodwill that we have in our minds makes this parting of the clouds in us happen. And everything, there's a microcosm and a macrocosm. Everything is the same on small and large levels, according to Swedenborg. So in our own little minds, we have clouds that we're trying to break up, and heaven itself has clouds. It's trying to break up, and Swedenborg talked about this in his book, True Christianity. In the spiritual world, there are sometimes shining clouds over the angelic heavens and dark clouds over the hells. The dark clouds over the hells symbolize that the word is being falsified and desecrated there. The shining clouds over the angelic heavens symbolize a lack of clarity that the angels are experiencing because of the word's literal meaning. When those clouds are breaking up, they symbolize the fact that the angels are coming into goodwill as a result of the word's spiritual meaning. So, that's cool. I mean, I don't know if I've communicated it well, but to me, the idea that all these these scenes that you see in nature, all the ways you experience water, are not only cool for what they are, but are also telling us about the the existence itself about these deep secrets about the divine and about humanity there there's all a theater as swedenborg says representative representative of the divine that's what we're hoping to teach you today hopefully we communicated some of that and, and you'll look at water with even more appreciation than you had before let's wrap up Let's recap so you don't forget everything before you get out of here. All right, so we looked at water, how water is an image of spiritual things. And so are all the forms it takes. Solid forms like snow are to the physical world what truths and external facts are to our minds. Fun, bright, and protective, but it's a little too cold to truly allow for growth. If we add a little more warmth, we get liquid, which can be a friend or an enemy. Rain can foster growth in the mind or threaten to flood us. A river can take us down God's path or try to tip us, and the ocean is a mindful of knowledge, harmful or helpful. But if we really get love going, our water can take to the sky, letting us become translucent, shining examples of an angelic mind. The more love or spiritual heat, the higher we go. 
And as the cycles teach us, uh, there's no limit to the amount of growth that can happen. You can continue to go into vapor after vapor, but every return to liquid, every return to solid teaches us something new. And that's the way life is. We keep getting cooler and better and better. One final thought, not that anyone asked for it, but we talked about these three stages, uh, you know, solid, liquid, gas. These correspond to these three stages in our spiritual growth, according to Swedenborg, repentance, reformation, and the new will. This is first where we're just beginning to realize, oh, we we need to, like, step it up here. Like, there's more to life than selfishness and materialism. Here is where we know the right things to do, and we don't always want to do them, but we're working on it. And here is when it's just second nature, like, you want to do what's constructive and that that's what hypes you up and this is something we can be climbing these steps and kind of cycling back around but getting closer and closer to hanging out that's why people think of heaven as being in the clouds because it's really in this new will this new love uh, that's inside us so that's our show for today sorry that i didn't get to use the frog more hopefully i will in the questions section please like and subscribe if you want to encourage uh you know programming like this, like how amazing this is. Uh, It helps our show get out on YouTube, and um, if you all click right, like right now, you never know. Somebody may have just been looking for wise water mean what it means to me, and this will be something that helps them. If you want to make this kind of programming possible, please consider making a donation. We're a nonprofit. We need your support to be able to do stuff like this in the first place. Here's a little bit of our philosophy, then we'll get to your questions. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we produce this show and other content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins. All right. These avocado seeds are awesome, by the way. Um, sorry, I just like, as we were practicing this show, I remember like holding this thing. Like, this is awesome. This is a cool, this is a powerful object. So unrelated let's get to your questions and and see uh, how all this is interested this is the first one melanie do dream actions count toward the tallying factor of the soul in equal context as actions and thoughts in real lifetime do man dreams are weird in case you didn't know i had some dreams last night that i was thinking about i don't really remember them enough to say them that's something weird about dreams how can you have an experience and now like you can only remember parts of it so quickly but my point is they're strange and they're usually for most of us not very lucid why i would think that you know for swedenborg doesn't really describe a tally like he doesn't say you have to pay for what you did like okay you did 55 good things and 48 bad things so you you get a hundred dollars but he does talk about things becoming part of who you are right so that in that way they become part of your spirit, the good and the bad that you do. So when you get to the spiritual world, that's who you are and that's how you act there. And that's where you get yourself into positive and negative situations. And my thought is that really the only thing that becomes integrated into who we are is what we do when we're rational and we're free. In dreams, I don't feel like I'm that because 
I often am not, I'm not very lucid. I don't understand really what's going on. It's just not the same as being the clarity of this life. So I wouldn't imagine that I'm really making things part of my life. I don't know. Swedenborg doesn't comment on uh, on that much. On the other hand, some people report being very lucid. And if they're making choices in there, does it matter because you're in a dream world? I don't know. He does talk once about a guy in the spirit, or that in the spiritual world, we can be reformed through dreams. That's, you know, the, remember the rapids in the river today, where you're trying to get through these hard times in life? In the spiritual world, you need to get through your, your mess, right? So there's often these temptation or trial experiences, but if you already know you want to be good and you're working hard at it, sometimes the, the temptations or trials are very mild. They can sometimes even so, sort of happen while you're asleep. So maybe that same kind of thing can happen here. It's possible couple of scattered thoughts uh, like like droplets of water hope you liked it thanks for the question let's look at the next one is there a link with holy water yes there totally is Swedenborg says that you know in that you know in in ceremonies uh all those came initially out of this knowledge of correspondences or that's why they were told to do it and you know holy water I mean that's that's got to be this divine truth, you know, and Swedenborg talks about, you know, like the the Holy Supper where there's wine and bread, wine being the uh, the liquid side of the truth and bread being the love. Um, so yes, they would. I would very much imagine this is why water is important in all kinds of rituals. He probably has some decent things to say directly about holy water. I'm not thinking of them now, but I do know that it would represent truth and most likely truth with love in it. That's the holiness to it. But yeah, he says the the water in baptism symbolizes that, so definitely a link there, and a great point. Let's look at the next one. Joshua. Hey! Ah, sorry, Joshua, I totally stole your thunder. He does talk about the water in baptism. Uh, there's There's a passage, if you want to read a little more about it, go to his book, True Christianity, which you can download for free on Swedenborg.com, where he has a whole segment about baptism, and he says that baptism does sort of like spiritually in, give you placement, you know, that it puts you among a community of people that obviously you have to decide to stay there through your actions, but it, the water is part of a symbol of this truth. But check out True Christianity, and, and hey man, how did I know you were going to say that? That's awesome. Let's look at number four. Christoph Sibylla, should the natural world be loved? Right now we are such a dominators. Yeah, man, I think it should. Um, I can't imagine. Natural world, first of all, I mean, first of all, it's so cool. Like, how could you not, how could you not care about preserving it and protecting it? It's it's so cool and it's so fragile and there's such majesty about the scale on which it happens. That's it, you know, that's biocentrism. Just preserve it for its own sake. How cool is it that there are these living things that that are unique and, and living out their lives? Don't you want that to continue? That's one side of it. Then we can, if we want to, we can look at what it means for people, the importance to human beings of the effects of nature on you, our need for it for sustenance. Swedenborg talks about love of the neighbor. He says that, you know, loving one person is one thing, but loving like a whole family, like doing something that serves a whole family, that's even better because it's serving more people. But doing something that serves a whole community, that's even better because there's more people. Doing something that serves a whole country, that's even better. So then the natural conclusion is if you're helping the whole world, you know, if you're working to keep clean air, clean water for the whole human population, uh, stable climate for the whole population, then that's love 
on the highest level. So um, not to mention, I'll just throw in this little thing, that Swedenborg says that the natural world was, is, it was and is the original divine revelation, that, that, that before there was the Bible or anything like that, that's what people would look to. It's what we've been doing tonight is showing water is the symbol of truth. That's all that people used to do for religion. They would look at the trees and the mountains and the water, and they would know from that these deep truths. So as you can tell, I think so. You know, we live here. We should do something good. Um, I see good signs, and hopefully people continue to consider like, hey, let's think about the whole and about the importance of, of preserving what is important, not just physically, but as we're learning today, spiritually as well. All right, we got time for one more. So what about tears? Oh, man, that's great. I don't know, because obviously that you know, when we get sad, we show it through water. And it's, but it's special water. It's got like these particular salts in it, and, and it helps the body in these certain ways. So I, I don't know if Swedenborg says directly much about tears, but there's got to be a correspondence there that, that either it's like a symbol of the, the removal of fault, because you, you, know, you cry something out and it kind of like helps get it out of your system at times, whether it's the removal of the things that were causing you, you know, of that pain, or, or whether it's the positive side, like it's a symbol of the, the comforting truths that can be brought to help heal that grief. I don't know, but that's an awesome question. See, once you start to think like this, you can go on forever. Like the, my favorite thing, or one of my favorite things, is Swedenborg describes some things, like we were talking about with the building blocks here. Here's the basics, and then you start to think about, well, what about this thing? What about this? All this stuff you didn't talk about, but you can still find out what it is just through, just through inferences and through study, and then you start to realize, oh, the world really is set up this way. It's not just Swedenborg saying it. You can begin to see evidence of it in the thing itself, and then you're having a good time. So keep asking those questions. You tell me, like you think about it. What do you think tears are? And, and you know, the more we learn about them, what are they? And I love exploring stuff like that. And only with you guys would I get a chance to spend an hour talking about it and have people actually, you know, I could get to the end of this hour and it would just be crickets. Any questions? Oh, no one's watching in the first place. But thank God I found all of you right, who, who are interested in this stuff, so we can sit here, chat about it, think about it, hopefully make it into stuff that's going to change the world for the better, man. And speaking of you guys and how cool you are, next week it's going to be all about you. We're going to have, it's been a long, long time since we did our live panel show, but there's going to be four of us here doing nothing but taking live questions from the audience, so think of what you want to ask, and, and we'll try to talk about it and make something uh, cool come out of our mouths about it. Thanks everyone for watching. I mean it, and I'll see you next time. Swedenborg and Life is a production of the Swedenborg Foundation. Curtis Childs is our host and producer. Art direction by Matthew Childs. Technical direction by Stuart Farmer. Ben Keyes, visual effects technician. The content writing team is Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, and Chelsea Odner. Regular research and content support from Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition of the works of Emanuel Swedenborg, and Cara Dom, Latin consultant for the New Century Edition. Shada Sullivan contributes her heavenly voice to most of our readings. Amy Aquarola is our marketing communications coordinator. Alexa Cole is our online media coordinator. Our editor is John Connolly. The moderators for our thriving online community are Curtis Childs, Karen Childs, Alexa Cole, Chris Dunn, and Chelsea Odner. 
and the executive director of the Swedenborg Foundation is Morgan Beard. Special thanks this week and every week to the generous donors that make our work possible.